Welcome to the BAM Biz Talk podcast, hosted by BAM Biz Hub, also known as the B Squared Hub Accelerator Program. We are a 501c3 nonprofit providing ideation, commercialization methodology, and mentorship to startups, early stage, and growth-driven businesses in the Permian Basin and beyond. The B Squared Hub Accelerator Program is 100% online with access to the BAM team for curriculum questions, resources, and mentorship as we are the only accelerator in the Permian Basin where face-to-face mentorship is available right here at home. We have over 900 enrollments in the B Square Hub Accelerator Program and are constantly seeking to add more courses and resources to create opportunities for you. Our team, board of directors and mentors are vast and experienced in an array of disciplines culminating in a well-rounded group of resources for our startups and businesses preparing to either enter the market or accelerate their growth. To find out more about us, go to bambizhub.com or call to set up a free consultation at 1-833-BAM-IDEA or 432-247-8840. That's 247-8840. Contact us for podcast sponsorship opportunities. And we're back for episode three, BAM Biz Talk here in the BAM house. My name is Angel Garcia with uh, my partner, Michael Crane. And we are sitting here today with Mr. Dan Corrales, City Councilman of Midland, Texas. How you doing, Dan? Doing well, doing well. Happy to be here with y'all. Awesome, man. We'd love to have you. Longtime friend. That's for sure. Even in the troubled times. <laughs> troubled times. Good yeah. times and bad times. That's how you know you have a friend when they still show up. So. You know, I've always been told that a good friend isn't the one sitting next to you in the jail cell or sitting there coming to see you at the jail. They're usually sitting next to you in the jail. That's a good friend. Or, the, or they come to bail you out. <laughs> That's <laughs> a good friend, too. That is a really good friend. <laughs> All right, Dan, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us an introduction to who Mr. Dan Corrales is. I have a lot of different hats that I wear. Uh, the one that most people know nowadays is a city councilman. Uh, I'm also an attorney. I have a law firm. My wife has a business. I just work there. It's uh, Pristine Organic Cleaners, but I help out with, you know, playing with the boiler and fixing things when they need fixing. So there's quite a bit that we have in the community with the needs. And part of being a council member is understanding how do we address that? So people ask, well, what what do you do? So last week I was helping chase a dog because someone had called and said, hey, there's a dog on Loop 250 and I-20. It's been there a while. What can you do? Um, We sent out uh, animal services officer. They couldn't find the dog, so I went out there and found it. And then it's like, okay, how do I get this dog to the shelter? I don't have a collar or a leash. And one person, it it took us three people and then two hours to kind of get the dog into the truck so he can get it to the shelter get its owner or see if it has a a, a chip. But a lot of city council is figuring out how does the city work? What are the things that you do to make better decisions as a city council member, which is like a board? You've got seven, including the mayor, and we make decisions on how best to manage the city with taxpayer money. So part of that duty to me is doing ride-alongs and understanding how people with their boots on the ground operate in the city so i've gone out with you know with police officers and a patrol car uh up until two in the morning to see what are the challenges they face the city changes when the sun goes down some of the other things for example going out with the solid waste department and a truck driver and seeing we go to the first container at 6 a.m 
and there's a couch on it. So we get out of the truck, got to pull the couch off, and then it's like, okay, so who comes to get all these items when they're just dumped in the alley? And on Wednesdays, they have a hand pickup day. It's called the HP day where they send them out in older garbage trucks that they can throw it in by hand. We also have a code enforcement unit that goes out and somebody calls to complain about the yard. Oh, it's overgrown. And if it's over 18 inches, the city sends somebody to mow that yard, but then charges the people $215. So what if it's somebody who's a senior? What if it's someone who's disabled and just doesn't have the means to do it or just doesn't have the money? Um, then I started looking at how do we help them? Because putting the lien on their house for cutting their yard to me is just, that's tough. So I asked people to volunteer, hey, would you be willing to help cut a yard? And I myself have gone out and mowed a few yards to save people from having to deal with that. Being part of your community isn't necessarily about what you're doing for yourself. It's how do you, and I learned this in Rotary, it's selfless service. How do you serve? And you have to know what those issues are and you cannot do that from an office. You have to go out with the people that are working in the city to understand where is the need. When I do Meals on Wheels, it takes me to very different parts of the city. And we all have circles that we go in, our little bubbles. You got to get out of those bubbles. And the best way for me to do that is in a nonprofit world and understanding, okay, this place that I take Meals on Wheels, I go to their alley and I see all these things dumped. And then I can talk to someone in solid waste and say, hey, can we get somebody out there? Because I get... If you live in a more affluent part of town, they probably get more things picked up there just because there's more attention to it. But I don't think that that should be the way it is. Everybody should be treated equally when it comes to city services. That pothole, whether it's on a poor part of town or a wealthy part of town, still needs to be fixed. Yep. So that's kind of on the city council end. Um, on the business end, um, I do a lot of contractual work. So construction in Midland, it kind of is the Wild West out here. People will want to start a project and build something, and then they call the lawyers when things go bad. And I try to encourage people, it's like, you kind of want to plan ahead. Before you sign that contract, have a lawyer review it. Have somebody look at what you're doing from a legal perspective in case it goes wrong. Have your contingency plan. Have your backup plan before you need it. Because if you're starting to look for it when you when you need it, it's too late. Well, that's some good advice. We have plenty of customers that come in that starting a business and they have no foundation of understanding at all some of the legal aspects. And we typically tell them, being a startup, you will have a legal issue. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen, not if it's not going to happen. It's when. Um, and we know quite a few that have actually gone through that. And that's one of the things that I enjoy. Y'all help people start their business and give them some direction. But how many don't do that? Or they come to y'all after they've already started it. And it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I have this business that I started a few months ago and I'm having these problems. It's educate yourself when you want to move forward with starting a business. What kind of business is going to be an LLC, a partnership, et cetera, et cetera. But planning. I think the one thing that I've learned is you can avoid a lot of mistakes if you plan ahead. And if you don't know, ask. There is nothing wrong with asking, but so many people are like too timid or I don't want to ask a, a, a dumb question. There's no such thing, in no. my opinion. 
And, you know, the sad thing is, too, is that if you don't ask, you'll never know. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of that is, was we see people come in here wanting to grow, but they didn't set the foundation to enable that growth. They just think it's going to happen. So, f- unfortunately, throughout Midland, Odessa, the Permian, we find companies that are very stagnant because they don't really know how to uh, actually plan for growth. Right. They're, they're not knowing how their business model works. They don't even realize they have a business model. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. What's that? What is that? Right. And then that's that's from not knowing what you don't know and not planning to find that out. Right. So a lot of these, they, you know, you if you're in a business, you automatically have a business model, whether you know it or not. Right? It's like cooking. You have a recipe, you have whether a recipe. you realize it or not. It's <laughs> a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Good analogy. You need bread, peanut butter and jelly. There's your model. How does it work? How do you put it together? <laughs> right. Yep. You know, what's the outcome? You know? And more importantly, too, I think there's a sequence to everything. And if you skip a step. Well, then you you wind up finding that you have to go back and find out where I went wrong. And chances are, it's the step that you missed. Yeah, right. putting the peanut butter on the outside of the bread. And <laughs> yeah, that, like, wait a minute, why that's am I peanut butter on my fingers? <laughs> I missed pretty messy. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of from a business perspective, um, just trying to help people plan ahead. I think that's the, the, the law part of it. Uh, with the cleaners, that's probably the more interesting one because... Most people don't understand dry cleaning. They just know if I take it there and I pay a lot of money, they're taking care of my clothes. And when we try to educate them with pristine organic cleaners, what's organic? Like what, <laughs> what, what's so special about that? Um, and then especially in West Texas, because when we started that business, many, many people said that's not going to go very far here. There's no interest in it. Here's the thing about West Texas. When it comes to their health, people are paying more attention. They are looking at what they buy. They're looking at what they consume. They're looking at what they put in their body. But now we're giving them an option. Be cognizant. Be aware of what you're putting on your body. Because now you you know that certain things can leach into your hands, right? So you're careful, you know, whether you clean them or wear gloves, depending on what you're working with. People are, are, are just more aware of that. That's something that I'm, I've been finding here uh, in the local culture so to speak, that over the last decade, there has been a growth of awareness of those issues, right? What, what's, what's, what's in your detergents? What's in the chemicals you use to clean your house? You know, what, what's on the, your clothes when you take them to a cleaner's? When it gets back, you know, what is that funny smell? And here's the longest one in Midland, what's in your water? What's That's in the water? That's been a constant concern. There's a part of me I don't want to know. <laughs> Actually, in, here, in the defense of the city, we have done really well at improving the water quality. It is not anywhere close to what it used to be. It is potable. You can drink it. I know it has that funky smell or taste, and we're working on how to get that out. But unlike 10, 20 years ago, where it would turn your teeth brown, we have finally gotten so many different good supplies of water that that's not an issue anymore. So that that old adage or saying in Midland, don't drink the water, um, it can be treated, and we're doing a really good job with that, and I'm hoping in probably five years we'll have changes made where we don't even have that smell or that taste. So I'm really looking forward to that. But um, back to the to the dry cleaning thing, I guess if you wanted to delve into one of the reasons why we decided to start that kind of business. Absolutely. Yeah, what motivated? Um, my wife's father, Larry Carrasco, has had New Method Cleaners for 40 years. And he has been in this business and could 
he could write several books, not just one. Um, but when I moved back to Midland, um, I married my wife, and we she was working for her parents, and I said, you know, we really just need to get along at dinner, and it would work better if we had our own business and they had their own business, and then we just kind of kept apples and oranges separate. So we're thinking, okay, well, we don't want to compete with her dad, so we put one on the other side of town where HEB and 191 and Loop 250 are because there wasn't a cleaners out there. And we initially thought, why don't we open a Tide Dry Cleaners? And then we looked at what their business plan was like, so it was educating ourselves. So Tide wanted about $2 million in liquidity, and the facility that they wanted to build was about, you know, a million and a half dollars. And we're just like, you know, that's way, way over our heads. We, we were not prepared to make that kind of investment. But it's organic. <laughs> well... <laughs> I don't know about Tide, <laughs> but for us, it was, okay, we can do a cleaners, but what's going to make us distinct? Because when you look at doing something, getting into a business, what makes you unique? I think almost all business owners, kind of, even if it's Mexican food, like, all right, well, how do I make mine different? Well, street tacos, right? Because that really wasn't a big thing in Midland up until, you know, not too long ago. So we looked at, well, if we're not going to do a franchise like Tide or Comet, what can we do to, to, to be unique? And so I told my wife, I said, there's a lot of green cleaners in bigger cities. And me having lived in so many different cities in this country, um, New York, even out of this country, um, I was in Barcelona for a little while. There are a lot of green options where their health is the predominant concern. And you've seen it in the supermarkets all these free and clear detergents. Like, you didn't see that seven to 10 years ago. So then we thought, okay, well, why don't we do something where seventh generation, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's like an organic detergent right. that you can buy in the supermarket. And I said, well, what if we do a dry cleaners that offers that alternative? Here's the other thing. Dry cleaning isn't dry at all. It's a solvent. And it's made with the very thing that we pull out of the ground here. So on the barrels of solvent, it says Exxon and it says Chevron. Oh, wow. Okay. And what, if you've ever seen um, like gasoline or something drip onto the ground and evaporate. Mm -hmm. So this solvent is made from petroleum. And then when you apply steam heat to it, it evaporates. So it goes from a liquid to dry. And when you pull it out, it's dry. So that's the unique part of it. Now, the problem with that is petroleum solvents are combustible. So if you had something like in Dallas where everything is built right next to each other 50 years ago and somebody left a lighter in there and then you add heat to it, it would set the whole thing on fire. So back when asbestos was really popular, they started introducing asbestos, something like that, into the solvent so it wasn't flammable. And then they found out, guess what? This is bad for you. It's a carcinogen. So there is this uh, solvent called PERC that the state of Texas has listed as a carcinogen. The EPA is listed as a carcinogen. And so if you're grandfathered in, you can still use it if you've had that dry cleaning machine for 10, 20 years. The problem is a new dry cleaning machine is $50,000. So if they said that you can no longer use this, all the mom and pop cleaners, how many would go out of business? Well, I would imagine quite a few. And Texas is a pro-business <clears throat> state. So... They still allow them to use it, but it's highly regulated, and this stuff is expensive. So my wife and I are like, okay, we're not using that. Um, and her dad has never used it, um, but other cleaners have and still do in Midland and Odessa. 
So we're going to do organic. We're going to offer detergent that is free and clear of all these additives, right? Because when you put Tide into your wash and it's blue, that's not <laughs> natural. It doesn't you know, <laughs> like that way. Um, so we use a plant-based detergent. And then when it comes to the solvent, we use solvent that does not, it's not perk. It is not carcinogenic. So we're, you won't have that smell. If you've ever picked up dry cleaning and you notice that funny mm -hmm. smell, yep. that's that chemical. And you're putting it on your body. I can hardly wait to tell my wife some of this. But you know, she always says, I don't know nothing about cleaning clothes. Well, <laughs> wait till I get home tonight. So when you think about that clothes, that shirt that has that funny odor to it, you put it on and then you sweat. You're leaching that into your body. And then your body is having to process it through, oh. your, through your organs and everything else. So people are now much more aware of it. And when we opened our store, that was part of that. What's going to make your, your business different? And it was, we're going to be an organic dry cleaner. So, okay. So then we're trying to figure out what about location? And I learned a lot from Tide's uh, franchise because they said, <laughs> you want to <laughs> have an anchor. Uh, so you want to be next to a supermarket. And this comes back to the business model and your business plan. Well, if you look at what are the oppor opportunities to do something like that, most of the time you are not reinventing the wheel. Somebody is already doing something right. like this, either in the state or the country or the, you know, the world. So they were saying, okay, you need to be in a supermarket because you'll have all these other customers that they want to one stop shopping, sort of where they can go do their grocery shopping, drop off their dry cleaning. And we're also next to um, Fountainville and then Wolfgang. So they go get their ice cream with their oh, kids. Absolutely. Or get their dogs get you know groomed or their food. So we picked a good location where we didn't have another cleaners for about a one and a half mile radius. And we put the store in and just things have a funny way of happening. I was eating something and I choked on a piece of chicken and went down my trachea instead of my esophagus. And then I, my heart stopped for about half an hour in the middle of construction. So we're trying to figure out, wow. all right, we're going to start this new idea, this new concept. Mm. And you talk about the challenges you face as a business owner, your timetable. When you open something, you're looking at how much time will it take to construct this? Because that shopping center was brand new and it's what they call a vanilla box. So there was walls. But no electricity, nothing. We had to put all of that in there. And my wife was like, so what are we going to do for a counter? It's like, well, I'll, I'll build it. So in the middle of us trying to do all this, I'm hospitalized and two weeks uh, of being in a coma. And one day I opened my eyes and my wife was like, do you know who I am? And, and you know, it, it just hit us like of all the challenges that we expected, you have to also think what's what you don't expect. Yeah. Um, you know, in God's blessing, I was able to get out of that hospital and go to the store and finish up the construction. Oh, wow. And then open <laughs> everything that was on my mind was how do we open this business and not go bankrupt because of right. what happened? Because it was it, it delayed everything. And I think a lot of people, when they start a business, they face those challenges. And it's like, you know, if I'd planned ahead, maybe obviously not in my case, this particular example, but other things that come up that throw you off. So we opened the store and we're in organic dry cleaners and we picked a good location because there wasn't very much competition around. But how do you get people like the field of dreams? If you build it, they will come. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other part is educating people. 
you can't just open a store and hope somebody's well, coming. Yeah, they'll just they'll know I'm here. And so I think for us, her dad being in business for 40 years had a reputation. Comet because it's a franchise has a reputation. Tide. Well, you put a Tide there, everybody knows what Tide is. You know, yeah. there, there's not a big challenge to connect if it's reputable. So we knew that we had to be there, my wife or I, to talk to customers that did come in and give them the education on, because people thought that we cleaned homes. They saw the sign, pristine organic cleaners. Oh, do y'all, can y'all clean my house? Like, no, we're dry cleaners. Um, so my carpet's out of the question. Uh, we actually start doing carpets yeah. now. So we take carpets yeah. that people bring in, like a, a rug, but not at your house. I know a lot of people had asked like, oh, can you clean this at my house or can you do this? And like, no, we're not that type of cleaners. Um, but part of it was understanding West Texas is an anomaly because what works somewhere else, it doesn't mean it'll work here. Right. So when you start looking at, at the time, how do we get to a base of people that dry clean? So the, the newspaper at the time was very important because you could easily educate whatever their subscriber base was. But we also knew social media has been growing as far as cost effective. How, how, how much does it cost to advertise in the MRT? How much does it cost to advertise in the Thrifty Nickel? How much does it cost to advertise on Facebook? And Facebook hands down is one of the most inexpensive. Then we started thinking about radio. How about all the people that are listening to radio? Like, hey, pristine organic cleaners. Now here's the thing. Okay, you were dry cleaners and you're organic, but that doesn't really generate a whole lot of interest except for a particular part of the population. And, you know, you bring up a good point because typically when you're coming into the market, you're looking on how do you disrupt the market enough to bring the people to you. And marketing, of course, is one of the mainstreams that you have to have down to enable that traffic pattern that you need mm -hmm. to bring them into the, the, to the, the store. And so the interesting thing is if you've ever picked up a newspaper and you see something from the supermarket, can of beans or can of green beans, 25 cents. And they're called loss leaders. And I learned all this when I was going to college, but I never thought it'd be applicable as a, as a business owner because I you know, became a prosecutor and never thought of that. So we started with $4 jeans because most in West Texas are about eight bucks. If you go to a Comet or somewhere else, it's about seven fifty to $8. So it was like, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. Every Saturday and Sunday, we started doing, we were open seven days a week. And we did $4 jeans on the weekends for people that wanted to save money. And it started building, you know, a base of people that would come in. Not on Sunday, though. Midland, Texas on a Sunday, that's, that, that really is a holy day. And most people are not going to come in unless, you know, they're essentials like the supermarket or something. But they're not doing dry cleaning on a Sunday. They, we, we had maybe one customer over a, f a one month period of being open on Sundays. Wow. Yeah, they just, most because no one else was. So there's a thing of, well, yes, you're a disruptor, but in what way? Mm -hmm. And we thought being open on a Sunday because no other cleaner was, but the culture here is nobody's open on Sunday, so nobody's it's gonna football. do it. You know, um, my wife went to tech and we were like, we're even missing the games. And so <laughs> <laughs> if we were thinking that, probably yeah. a lot of other people as well, um, but that was really one of the biggest thing is, is we were ch less, less expensive and we did it organically and that helped us for the $4 gene. They didn't care so much that it was organic, but when they got in the door, that's when we were able to educate people because it was usually 
um, either a guy bringing in the jeans because they were inexpensive or the wife or the girlfriend bringing them in for him because he was at work or doing something else. And then you figure out who's receptive to that. And I'll be honest, there was a guy that rode a Harley that came in and I tried to say, hey, did you know that we're organic? He's like, $4. That's what matters yep. to me. Yeah. And so it's understanding <clears throat> the market. Um, and that's been like a really big thing. But what was really key for us that kept us going is we were trying to figure out while we were building this base and looking at our profit and loss and statements, our P&Ls and figuring out we're not making enough unless we're, you know, really killing ourselves being there 60 hours a week. And how long can you sustain that? You know, you're excited. It's a new business, but it'll start burning you out. And we knew that her dad had had a contract with the city of Midland at one point, And so we bid on this contract. And we were the lowest bidder. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows 100. what anyone else is bidding. It's a sealed bid. So we put one in. Comet put one in. Um, another dry cleaners. There was about four or five dry cleaners, I think, that put a bid in. And we got it. And then we were thinking, man, were we too low? <laughs> well, what <laughs> because, do we do now? <laughs> yeah, because it was a challenge of volume. Right. Because the city has all the police departments, solid waste, you know, all these different um, departments. And we were trying to figure out, okay, what if they all bring them in and we're doing the jeans for $250, how do we How do we make that profitable? And we're thinking, okay, yeah, what volume, but then how? what help? Because you have to have people at the counter, but you also have to people that are going to wash it, that are going to press it. You know, that seems to be a problem. We want to grow. So to grow, we think, let's lower the price. And then when you lower the price and you get the traffic, now it's time to hire somebody. And then you got to look at whether or not the profit margin will allow that. And if you're hiring too many, then you're actually owing the company because you're not making the money that you need to because you decided to be more cost-driven than value-driven. Mm -hmm. And that's a balance that... You as a business owner, if you are an absentee business owner, it is not going to go well. You have to be there looking at what's coming in the door, what's going out, what is your production, what are your costs. And, you know, oh, yeah, I looked at my monthly P&L. I was looking at a daily p and <laughs> I was like, okay, how much money? It's like the credit card machine batches out at 6 o'clock every day. And make sure you batch it out because the deposit will go in the next day. And when you first open... Every penny Every matters. Penny. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. People are like, oh, well, I've been in business 10 years now, and then they start, stop worrying about the penny. Yeah. That's kind of the problem with getting complacent. You know, you're like, yeah, oh. you become stale. Yep. You know, nobody. And I, I preach this at every one of these podcasts. You know, customers are like a marriage. you got to keep it fresh, new, and exciting. Mm -hmm. And if you can't keep it fresh, new, and exciting, there's no reason why you can call anybody a loyal customer or, or retain them because you've done nothing to keep that relationship moist uh, where they want to grow with it. And that's been an interesting part for us was, okay, we are doing organic and then we're like, what do we do about the plastic bags? And so we kind of made this transition from not just being organic in the plant-based detergent and using a, a dry cleaning solvent that does not cause cancer we started going into a motif of being environmentally friendly and people are like in west texas they said yes so we started using garment bags that are reusable instead of the plastic bags to help cut down on the plastic then we started asking people to recycle your hangers because we have to pay for them customers are like i have all these hangers in my closet especially when they move 
and they just throw them away. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are perfectly good to reuse. So we started growing in that regard where it wasn't just the organic cleaning. It was, hey, we're organic in so many different ways. If you can help us out, here's your garment bag, reuse it. Your hangers, bring them in. And then we started looking at convenience. So we started handing out laundry bags with the garment bag and we tell them your name, your preferences, heavy starch, light starch is on this tag on your bag. So when you come in, if there's a line of people, just drop your bag here. We'll put it to the side. We know what you want. All we need to know is what day you want it back. Then with the $4 jeans, people couldn't get to us between 10 and 2 p.m. So we put a drop box outside and we said, hey, if you get it to us before 7 a.m. on Monday, you'll get the four bucks. So there are people, <laughs> they would go out to Volcano or to Potbelly and then they would drop a bag. We'd look at them on the camera like at 8 p.m. at night, other guys at 5 in the morning yeah. because that was on their the schedule. Work. Yeah. So it's figuring out how do you, as a business owner, look to improve the service that you offer as far as convenience. When you go to fast food, what are you looking for? Something that tastes good, but also you want to get in and out. Right. And so with the cleaners, we wanted to facilitate people being able to come in, have a good experience, and then not have to spend a whole lot of time. Take the hassle, the frustration out of cleaning, because most people don't want to do it at home. They certainly aren't trying to iron all their shirts if they can just take it somewhere. So we offer 25% off dry cleaning on Saturdays, too, in addition to the $4. Like, what are ways that we can continue making our service affordable? and then get more people in once they knew their clothes smell good, the service was good. And that was my wife and I being at the counter to know I would count out the pieces of clothing when they dropped off and when they left with it to make sure you got all your stuff back because that was one of the complaints that people had with other franchises or other cleaners in town is like, they lose my stuff. I dropped off this or they damaged it and they didn't own up to it. And so for my wife and I, there were times where we had something, I can't remember what it was, it got a snag caught in it and we couldn't fix it. And so my wife and I just said, we will buy you a new one. Now here's the funny thing, it says on your dry clean ticket that we only have to pay 10% of what the, or 25% of what the cost is. So legally we could get away with not. And that's why a lot of cl cleaners are just like, no, we didn't damage that. Or even if they did, they don't own up to it. And I've our- had that. You know, for us, it was what is what do we value as far as our reputation is that we're going to take care of you, whether it was something that, you know, happened at the plant or however it happened. If something gets damaged, we will fix it. And we've had a time or two where, oh, I can't find something and we think that we lost it. And it's usually just in the plant or on the van. And for whatever reason, it didn't get delivered to the store. And then it turns up. So being accountable to your customers, if something does go wrong, it's just like the restaurant, that burger wasn't cooked all the way or, you know, for whatever reason, you didn't like the food. Well, you either offer to give them another one or you take it off the check. And so that's what we do. But you have to be at your business to do it. I think that's one of the more important things. And, you know, I think that, too, sums it up what integrity really is. Yes. And, uh, you know, if you're going to go someplace that you want to have trust in, the integrity is really the uh, is what really attracts you as a customer mm -hmm. is that they're going to stand up for what they do, how they do it and when they do it, uh, making making all the difference in the world to create that relationship. 
For sure. And I really feel like you're putting on a clinic on business model development here, right? Because everything you just went over is a customer relationship section, mm-hmm. right? And it is, are you transparent with your, with your customer? You know, are you being forthright? You know, are you being ethical? You know, because customers see that, right? We're all customers of, of many places, right? And when something happens and it's not like, uh, they come on, they could have taken care of that and they don't. Well, that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. You know, you, you don't want to go back or you don't want to tell somebody, yeah, it's a great place. You know, I, I've been there before and it was great. But this last time, you know, they didn't own up to. And know. that's the thing about Medland is the grapevine. You <laughs> yeah. can advertise all you want. You could be on TV, radio, the social media, newspaper. But if you have a reputation for not taking care of people, that spreads faster than anything. Yeah. God, that was a great one to our audience. I hope they're all listening to what you just said. Um, and that's really true. You brought up the business model. I think what uh, we heard so far is the added value to the value proposition. Yes. Um, and that's really important, too, if you're going to mm-hmm. stay in business for a long time. Because, again, that's fresh, new, and exciting for any client to come by and say, I really appreciate what you've done for me. I want to continue to come back because it's not stagnant. Uh, it's value added every time I come. You have to continue improving and looking to provide that experience. And then if you want to do something that's maybe a little different to get some more attention, what are some of the ways? So what we evolved with COVID, because this was like a game changer for dry cleaners. Nobody was going to work. So what did they need to dry clean? And then we started doing, okay, well, how about home delivery? Because people were still wearing clothes. And there are some things that you really can't wash or, you know, you're, you're afraid to wash it because you'll damage it. Um, so we started doing home delivery and surprisingly that really did pick up. The funny thing is most of what we were doing were like casual clothes, but depending on, you know, what you buy, sometimes you'll buy a nice shirt and you're afraid to wash it because it'll fade or, you know, you're just not going to be comfortable throwing that in the washing machine. So, we really were fortunate um, because of the germs. People wanted to do comforters and sheets. So we saw a lot of that coming in because you had somebody quarantining on one side of the house and they didn't want to cross contaminate it. And then for my wife and I, it was OK. We had to value, you know, evaluate our safety. It's like, all right. So we put it in a laundry bag. We're going to make sure we have gloves and a mask. And then when we put this in the van, make sure everybody's taking the precautions that they need to and just get it to the plant where they could wash it. And fortunately, um, no one had gotten seriously ill um, during the pandemic. There were a few people that did get COVID that worked for us, and it's hard to say where they got it from. I don't think it was from clothes, but we were very fortunate in that everybody has stayed with us. We're all good to go. Um, But it was another way of adapting. How do you adapt when you are presented with a challenge that you could never fathom. You could never think, how am I gonna, how am I gonna survive this? And in so many different ways. And I saw the difficulty for other mom and pop cleaners that did not have, you know, my wife and I are very blessed in that we had a good education, so we understood how to maneuver with the help that was provided. And that's one of the things that I encourage people, make sure your books are in order, make sure you have your profit and loss statements, your employee records, because some of those programs that the government offered, if you didn't have your, you know, 
ducks in a row, it was going to be very challenging. And, and, and that was hard to see because there were other cleaners that um, closed their doors. They didn't make it. And some of them, it wasn't so much that they couldn't afford to. They just weren't willing to, to do that anymore. That, that was it. And they said, you know, we're good. We've been blessed and we don't need to continue doing this. But for those where it was the opposite, my advice would be make sure that you have all of your documents just like you would need a business loan keep maintaining your stuff and that, and that was part of when we opened um one of the things that we had to figure out is we don't have a business with credit we started a brand new business and banks were like well you know what what are your assets what are you going to have and that was another difficult part that we learned um have your financing in order and figure out how much money you're going to need for the lean times and this is probably 101 in midland for anyone that owns a business when there is a boom or an up cycle, put money to the side and save it, just like a squirrel with an acorn for the winter. There's going to be some lean times, and that doesn't mean that we're going to have a boom forever. You have to prepare for when things get tight. And then how do you as a business owner contract when the economy contracts? Do you step up and say, okay, well, I'm going to have to fill this role, and I'm going to have to put in more work? to cut down on your expenses you know from something as simple as did you turn the air conditioner off or the heater off when you closed the store or did you let it run the whole time and there's so many little things that if you were there you would know um but i guess i could segue into some of the biggest mistakes <laughs> that <Yeah>. have happened <laughs> if you own a business and say there's never been a mistake i that's just not true there's just so much that you learn. Um, my wife and I, I was not a business owner before. I had always worked for someone uh, in construction as an attorney, as a prosecutor. And this was the first time where I was my own boss. Well, my wife's the boss. Let yeah, let's get that, that. clear. <laughs> I, I just worked yeah. there. Checked. But um, it was understanding what do you learn when something goes wrong? And are you evaluating it to learn from it? Or do you keep repeating the mistake? And it's really like falling off the bike. When you fall off, you want to do as much as you can to not hit the ground again. Yeah. And so that was part of, for us, um, we had one delivery van. I'll give you an example. And when the delivery van broke down, we didn't know what to do. We were like, all right, well, because we had to get a van that was custom made with a rack to hold clothes. So it wasn't like I could just go down to U-Haul and get a van that would hold clothes. But I did go down to U-Haul and looked at the van and there was a way to put in a piece of pipe. And that's how I adapted is I looked at, and I was like, hey, is there a problem with me just having this pipe going from here to here? I'm not making any structural changes. And the guy's like, yeah, that's, that's not an issue. So we used the U-Haul for a week while the van got fixed. Um, think about the things that you have that's your only thing that you have and what is your backup plan? So those are some of the things that we started figuring out. The air compressor would go down. Okay, how much do we need to start saving up for a second air compressor? Um, you know, there are certain things that you can start thinking about. Don't wait until you're presented with the situation to perform under pressure. Because depending on who you are, some of us fold and others step up to the challenge. You don't want to find that out at the risk of your business and you're hurting your customers. 
Um, so I'd yeah, say because if you do, you don't have any customers. We we typically tell our clients doing a risk assessment and ask the question, what if? And see if you can answer all those questions about what if. If something was to happen, how are you going to handle it? How are you going to keep on performing? Mm -hmm. uh, and how is some of this uh, what if that you don't pay attention to, how is it going to impact you? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, if you're not listening and you're not paying attention, you're missing out on what you might need to do to enable yourself to be sustainable. You'd mentioned earlier some of the folks just closed up during the pandemic. And I, I, I've seen a lot of that. And I think one of the problems with that of closing up, nobody was where their client was or their customer. They're at home. So if they're at home, how do you put your business in home? Well, they're on the Internet, folks. Um, it's time maybe to get an e-commerce or something at least that you can communicate with as a base to, to manage that traffic, that cash flow that you're not taking care of. Yeah, and Facebook is not that e-commerce website. No, right? and it's I don't know enough. why people think that. Not enough. <clears throat> it, it's a great place to work in tandem with your e-commerce website. Or create the uh, brand awareness. Absolutely. And brand awareness, that's where it's at, and that's where you pull them to make that purchase on your website. Yep. It's understanding yeah. how to set it up and what is the most practical way of doing it. And Facebook may be easy, but from a business perspective, it's not the most logical or the most secure. You really want to have your own independent website. You know, what if something happened to Facebook, for example, it goes down or your page gets suspended or somebody hijacks it. How many times have we seen mm -hmm. somebody gets fished and then they lose their ability to sign in with their password? And I've heard, I've heard a lot of horror stories. There's, that, there's that what if question. Yeah. Yep. And so yeah. looking at those things, we learned being at the store, we didn't want to be at the store every day. So we started looking to hire help. And then one of the things endemic that is just a problem with West Texas is the labor force. So when you have good staff, foster them. A lot of times people are like, well, you know, if we were in Houston or Dallas, there'd be somebody right behind ready to take that job. But in West Texas, that's really not the case. So if you hire someone and you notice that they're doing a great job, do something to reward them. And I'm not saying like just financially. I mean, yes, you're going to want to pay them more. But recognize but what they've done. That's it. The recognition. That is priceless. When you take someone to the side and say, you did a great job today. The way you handled that customer, they came in, they weren't happy, and they walked out, and they were okay. Because they spoke to you, you didn't escalate it, you knew how to take care of that situation, and say, look, I'm sorry that this happened, but we will make it right, and we will get you where you need to be. And I think that is when you sit down and start thinking about how can I help foster this person's growth? How can I help them become maybe management, maybe step up and have more responsibility, maybe cross train them to do other things? And again, yes, you, you will have to pay more if you want to retain good talent. That goes without saying. But dollar bills aside, what do you do to make them feel like they are doing a great job that they're you know, acknowledged. And we've done things like, well, we'll take you out to get some lunch. We'll take you, here's a gift card for dinner. Thank you. You want this day off? Hey, take the weekend off. We'll take care of this. But there are so many things that you can do to make their quality of life at the job better. And people often forget that. Um, you know, it's just, well, you know, they work 
a nine to five and they're going to have and this they get routine. Paid. Yeah. yeah. And then that's well, that's all I need to do is pay them. As someone who has worked for someone the majority of my life and just in these later years being a business owner, there was nothing I looked more forward to than recognition that I put in a great effort and that it was worth it. And my employer comes back to me and, and says, wow, you're a really great component. You make this place better. And I'm grateful to have you here. Because that's when people start leaving. You know, and that's one of the things that is really tough when I want to think about that as a city councilman. Because I look at the staff that we have at the city. And how do you, how do you just like Chevron or Exxon and any of those that are losing them, they, they go somewhere else to a different city, a different place. What are we doing to improve not just our quality of place for residents, what about the staff that work at the city? And taking that experience from being a business owner to being someone who is managing the business of the city for taxpayers, the concepts transfer over. And I think sometimes people mm -hmm. forget that just because yeah. it's a government, you know, a municipal government, those things still apply. So yeah, when I go- they're still businesses. Yes. Well, they're still made with people. Exactly. There you go. Those are the factors that you're still dealing with people that want to feel that they have a sense of accomplishment, that if they have an idea and they want to try something different, and Midland is so averse to change. I know that's tough here because culturally, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We just keep doing the same thing. Here's more bailing wire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, do, how do we change that? And I think with the median age now, the demography of Midland, people are in their 30s. That's average, and they, they have a young family. So not so much the 20-year-old scene, but people leave or come in, they come back, uh, or new people come to it. And how do we make this more hip, so to, so to say? And you have to start looking at what are the things that we're providing, and the parks are good. I think looking at the entertainment part of it, but when we get back to city staff, it's what are the things that we can do to, to make people wanna come here and work, and when they are here, how do we keep them here? So when I look at the animal shelter, um, I'm on the Animal Services Advisory Committee, and that's a, a board of people that help make decisions with input from citizens um, as to how the animal shelter should run. And so you have like Texas Cat Wranglers and Fix West Texas that do great on their own. These are nonprofits. But they help us understand we put this new animal shelter out there on fairgrounds to replace the old one so we can service the community and then getting feedback how do they feel when we are making a big difference in saving more dogs and cats and getting people's animals back to them encouraging them to chip their dog how many times have you seen reward lost dog and there's a kid crying i mean that breaks my heart to see that but then i look at how do we help those people feel like they're doing a better job and it, even down to the guy that I was joined, uh, Walter, in the, in the, in the solid waste uh, garbage truck, just driving around. He's like, you know, I could use some of this. I could, and I said, okay, well, let's find out what we need to get to the things that you need. So they feel like someone is listening. That's probably one of the more important things that people make the mistake of. They don't, they don't listen. listen. When someone is telling you, hey, do you have a minute? How often have I seen someone say, no, we'll talk later, we'll, and, and that never, they never have that conversation, and the person leaves. 
And a lot of times you're not going to get an exit interview. I know that we would all love to have that feedback. And if you do, that's great because it helps you understand what you're doing wrong. But that's some of the some of the stuff like for um, the shelter, we're doing Barktoberfest. So we're going to have a bunch of people bring dogs in costumes to Beale Park and have an adoption event. So the staff there feels like, hey, we're really changing this. We've never done this before. Be open to different ideas. Don't just say, well, that's not how we do it here. And and Midland should not be a place where ideas and dreams are killed. It should be a place that fosters that. And if you're not open to thinking differently, if you're not open to listening to people and hearing them out, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, but you will not know until you try. The bad word is, is change. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I can handle change. But, you know, it's really what change does is it, it promotes the innovation. It promotes the, you know, the success. It, it promotes the livelihoods if you have change uh, to make something better. Uh, and I think that's where we fall off sometimes. We, we forget that change does. It, it creates that innovation and it creates the motivation to do something different. Sometimes it's just because we're forced to. And that's when I see that that's really where there was an opportunity. If right. Do you remember QR codes before the pandemic? Nobody used them. Most people don't realize that that was a thing. People that existed. Don't use them. But then we were forced. We didn't have paper copy of a menu, for example, and then you had to use a QR code. And then people started figuring out, they're like, ah, oh, oh, this is convenient. I can yeah. get this. And so the old way of, well, go to www.blahblahblahblah.com, <laughs> give them a QR yeah. code. And, you know, the QR code is very versatile. Just to give you an example of something that people haven't even realized it can be used in these ways. You can make a QR code where it'll put a text message in your phone after you scan it and send it. So, hey, if you want to sign up, go to this. No, scan the QR code. It'll send the text to that. Yeah. It'll take you, you know, not just to a website, but it can send things. And I think that's the part of the change opens up these possibilities. You know, if you want to, and I don't want to get into a whole history lesson, but oil and gas with kerosene as a light source. When electricity came around, everyone said, oh, oil and gas is going to go away. We aren't going to need that anymore because we're using electricity for light. Well, then somebody invented a car. And then, oh, there we go. Oil and gas had a new life. There are so many things that we have that can find a renewed purpose. But if we're not open to that change, we won't see those things. And it's not going to be a pandemic that forces us to every time. It has to be our culture, our way of thinking that, hey, we can do this different. We can do this better. And Midland, with oil and gas and fracking, isn't that really in our DNA? We are learning how to do things better when it comes to oil and gas. Why limit it to that? Why limit it? Well, we've always done things this way. You know, and it goes right back to the E plus E equals P thing. You know, efficiency plus effectiveness equals profitability. Uh, and in some instances, profitability is uh, defined by productivity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, change creates opportunity as well as it drives innovation. So even though you, let's, let's talk about the electric car just for a moment. Even though this silly thing comes in where you got to plug it into your house, you know, there's other problems that come along with it, but those problems be, create other opportunities. Oil will never, never in my lifetime, I, I can't even imagine if it would ever happen, go away. we got too many things that people depend on, and 90% of that, I bet, depends on oil. 
Well, you couldn't make those electric cars without plastics, which come from petroleum. So I think that's the part is people don't realize the versatility of something. It can be used for so many different things. And I hate to make a joke about like a slip and slide when I was a kid, but you could have done that with garbage bags and some palm olive or dish soap if you didn't have a slip and slide. And in most of the cases, we used it all. I think we did. But those are some of the ways of just being innovative. I think if you want to be a business owner, you should be thinking about how am I constantly being innovative? And so getting back to Pristine, once we were successful enough, one of the things that we started thinking about was we would have people ask, hey, would you like to donate uh, to this nonprofit? And so we were at a point where we could donate a percentage of our sales. And we'd seen other people do it, like um, Mulberry with Jerry Morales had done that um, for Meals on Wheels, I think, actually. He had donated a portion of the sales from one weekend or a week. And so I said, well, you know, hon, why don't we do that? And my wife was all all in support of it. And we started looking at what are the organizations that are trying to foster change in a good way that are giving back to their community. Um, and so that's what we were thinking is, okay, we've seen other businesses doing that. Why don't we? And then our customers are saying, I love coming and giving business to someone that is then taking some of that profit and putting it back into the community. So you have to be aware that it isn't just all about making a buck. It's who are you as a business and what are your values and the reputation? And so that's that's the part that we really did enjoy being able to do that. And we do. We still give like a free year of dry cleaning that they'll put at a silent auction. You know, there are so many different ways you can do it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be monetary. If you want to do keep Midland beautiful and get some of your staff and go out and pick things up like we've done that, that's another way of just giving back. But people will continue to go to a business if they feel they're doing more than just getting a service. They're helping their community. You know, I hope our clients are listening to this because this is something that we preach when we talk about price modeling. 100. You know, you, you, there's a lot of way to bring people in, but it's a lot of ways, too, to, to gain that trust. And if you're implementing a price um, and you're value-driven and some of that money from that price is the idea that you're putting it back into the environment, the city, the whatever it may be, uh, actually doing some sort of good with it, um, the price doesn't matter anymore. What really matters is that you're making a difference to the community. And if you're not that kind of customer, then maybe I'm not your kind of business. Mm -hmm. So that really defines a lot about uh, the interaction you have with uh, the community and the customer and what you as a business person provides to secure the trust in what you're trying to do, not just to offer a service, uh, but to give something back. And then don't just wait for your customer to come to you. So we have had a booth at the Midland County Fair. We have had a booth at the Low Street Market downtown. We have had a booth at Bush Convention Center. And a lot of these booths don't cost a lot of money. That's maybe 100 bucks, 200 bucks, depending on how many days you want to be out there. And obviously, you still got to staff it. Or you yourself, really, I would say you should be the one right. here as the business <laughs> owner. Because who else is going to better represent your business than you? But go to the people. Don't wait for people to come to you. Go to them and, and have your flyers and have some gift cards that you can give out and say, hey, try us. I bet you you'll like us. And then they do, and then they keep coming back. Yeah, I think that's a good point because you know nowadays it's all about text messaging. It's all about emails. 
I guess what I'm trying to say here, it's it's not personable. Not personable. Uh, you go to some of these places, you set up a table, it becomes more personable. It's uh, face-to-face. Uh, it's a great way to shake hands, a great way to know who you are, um, and a great way, too, again, to build that level of trust that I want to come see you. Yep. Um, you can't get that out of an email, folks. Uh, it just doesn't happen. No, and that's the other thing is, you know, yes, be aware, like the Star Spangled Salute that the Midland Chamber of Commerce puts on. You can get a booth there. And the chamber can be helpful. They can send out a blast email, and you can send out postcards, and you can send out all these things. But it's the face-to-face interaction where you're not waiting for them to walk in the door. You're going to where they are. And don't get me wrong, like text messages and other things are good, and that's kind of where we were a bit innovative. How many times do you recall going to a dry cleaner and they give you a piece of paper? They write your name, they put down what you have, and here, take this number, almost like valet parking. Okay, so we took that digital and we put in the phone number, and when your clothes are ready, you get a text. So you're not relying on the memory of someone you know where that piece of paper ends up? On the visor, in their wallet, who knows where it is. And so we just encourage people to come out. And then when we have that, we can tell them, hey, by the way, your clothes are ready. And don't forget, we have $4 jeans on Saturday. So use the the digital in an effective way. Yeah. You, know? you know, and I, I try to tell a lot of our, our clients is that, you know, when you're doing your marketing campaigns, it's one thing to send an email out to somebody you don't know and probably won't get a response. But if you know something about the person and you send an email, now the email becomes personable mm-hmm. and you get some sort of return. You know, I think the biggest thing for most businesses is not just the idea that you're advertising. It's the way that you collect customer information and being able to process that to make that personable, to include that then in a text or an email but not just uh, throw an email out there and expect, well, I'm going to get some return. I think it has to be more of a personal level to get the biggest return. The biggest ROI is that personalization. And then just figure out what's effective. There was a time when you got an email and you read it. Now it's a spam, right? And people aren't reading that. Unfortunately, the text messages are going the same way. People are getting so many spam texts that they're like, what? What is this? And who is that? I'm not interested in that. And so looking, what's the next step? What is the next thing that will come about? And we'll probably see that here in the next couple of years where the method of reaching out to people changes. So the question is, are you evolving with the times or are you still a dinosaur? Because there are some cleaners that still use a paper ticket. They don't send a text. They don't call you. They just let your clothes sit there. And you know how many times people don't even remember to come get them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and that's that's another true thing about creating that competitive advantage. Um, you're, you're creating something that nobody else has, but yet it's highly appreciated. So that's been a pretty interesting part is just learning how do we do what we do better? Yes, there's Comet. Yes, there's other dry cleaners that people can go to. And I'm not saying, you know, that they provide a bad service. I'm trying to say, what can I do that's unique and better? and more geared towards you where you know that I know who you are. So when people walk in, they tend to know who the staff is. That's why you want to keep the same staff because there's that familiarity. So even if you forgot to tell them, I want light starch jeans, they already know because they know who you are because they see you every week. Used to be like that, the bank, you walk into the bank, hey, you know, but now that's kind of changed a lot too. Um, 
But personalization, as you just mentioned, is really important. Um, and that's really creates a relationship that makes you want to come back, not just once, but over and over and over again. And when you're looking at cash flow, well, that's pretty important to keep the business alive. Yep. Just getting people to come back consistently and spreading the word through that middling grapevine of they do a great job here. And let me tell you why. And they're running out of fingers on one hand because there are so many different reasons why they would recommend you. I think that's what some people tend to not put value in is what are people, why are they talking about you? Is it in a good way? Is it in a bad way? One of the mistakes is not acknowledging it. If it's not a positive thing, go and figure out why. And don't be afraid to ask, hey, have you heard that, you know, we provide this service and if you run across it, well, you know, we didn't really have. And then we call and say, how can we get your service back? Don't just cut it off as a loss. See what you can do to earn it back, because I bet you they'll appreciate that more that you took that extra step to say, hey, things didn't go the way you wanted to, but I'm willing to make it up to you. And I've even said to someone on Facebook, they've complained, well, they didn't do my jeans right. And this wasn't I said, here, you tell you what, here's $50 in credit. Come back. They already have your name in the computer. Please try us out again and let us try and take care of you. You know, and that goes a long ways, you know, just to reach out, just to say, hey, look, we messed up. It didn't go right the way you wanted it to go. Let us try again. So that, that in that in person's mind, that's like, you know, if you're in an actual relationship, and you're just like, oh, I'm sorry, I messed up. Mm-hmm. You know, so now, now you just didn't just make up for that one incident. Now you created that trust. Like we were talking about earlier, you're creating the trust in the customer and the business. So that's creating customer loyalty. And then that's sending the good word through the grapevine, right? And just a different method of communication. They didn't call you. They didn't come Mm -hmm. into the store to talk to you. They just posted a comment on Facebook that I wasn't happy with the service there. Are you as an owner going to just let that linger and not address it? Some will. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately. Or even attack the customer. I've seen that around here before, too. I, yeah, I don't recommend engaging recommend. in a negative way. <laughs> Try no. to work it out. And if they say, hey, no, I appreciate the offer. And then at least you tried. There you, you go. Made yeah. You know, uh, there, there's something that we do say a lot is, you know, the customer service is really about how you handle the problem. But the other side of the coin of this is the, the, the real customer service is the customer experience. You know, the time that they come in the door... Who meets and greets them? What's the process of being able to provide them whatever services that are they're needing? And how does it end up at the cash register? How do you push it to the cash register? Um, you know, finalize the sale. So there, there's a process of that customer experience uh, that actually equates some sort of uh, uh, stages of development, if you will, to create the sale. And uh, a lot of businesses just forget all about that. You know, and when we look at how we can improve, well, that's one way that you can improve. Look at the customer experience, what takes place, and what is it that you need to do to make it better? And we started in 2016 with one store, and now, about seven years later, have three. So we've learned how to grow and provide that service to other parts of the city. Part of your growth is figuring out, okay, not just your existing location and the staff you need to make that go what do you plan if your business is doing really really well and want to expand what are the ways to expand i mean at one point um we were thinking all right do we franchise this is this something that we can take you know one step up 
And for us, the decision was that's probably more than we would be equipped to handle. And I think you have to be very honest with yourself. How much can you grow? Because if we tried to open 10 stores, I think the difficulty there is if you are truly that unique, some part of that will get watered down because you cannot be at all 10 stores. And I get it. You can create a procedure and a way of doing things. And maybe that works with like a restaurant. But I think for something like dry cleaning that is very customer service oriented, it is the people that really make it. And if you don't have a good system of training your staff and making sure that they understand what defines you as a great service provider, um, that gets watered down when you don't have consistent staff and a revolving door and there's always somebody new and they don't recognize who's at the counter and the counter doesn't recognize your customers. So those are the things that I think people should be aware of. You can grow too big. Absolutely. There's always there, there's a scaling issue, mm-hmm. right? So if something is done on the micro level when it's scaled. Well, now you have a macro problem, right? So how, how do you how do you get the micro to the right processes, the consistencies through your staff, through the training? And it's the culture, right? Well, you can't scale from from one to 100, you know, and expect to keep that same culture. You know, it, there has to be a process, a timeline to build to that. You know, because it's a scaling issue. I mean, it's, it exists in every every industry. And we saw that her dad had five stores at one point. And as he got older, it's like, you know, this is a lot of work to do. Yeah. And then you have to start looking at succession. I think people don't plan for an exit strategy often. And I know we're talking about starting a new business, but also consider what about someone who is trying to get out of an existing business that probably isn't bad? They just need somebody with a little bit more vigor, somebody with a little bit more energy that wants to take it in a different direction. And we see that all the time. Mm-hmm. There are new business owners that have taken over an existing business. So how do you keep making it better? Because I'm sure we've all been to some business where we're like new ownership. Well, the food's not going to taste the same. Or, you know, there's some gripe that people will have. And I think that's something also valid to, to think about. If you're taking over an existing business, what are you making better? Um, one of them, I think, Johnny's Barbecue is being taken over by Pachuco's Food Trust. Yes. And they have phenomenal food. Phenomenal. And, and I think that's the thing is, how do you let people know it may not be exactly the same, but it's going to be better. And then you have to work really hard as the business owner mm-hmm. to make sure that you deliver on that promise. But I think that's the other thing is, is if you are someone who used to be in West Texas, your word was gold. And I would love to see business owners get back to that. I know you still legally as a lawyer, I'll say you need to have that contract, but don't make people feel like they need it. That's the key. If they feel like they're confident that they're going to go in there and get a great service, I think that that says a lot. Yeah, there you go. Again, it's, it's all about taking on the change. You know, and in being Midland, we have some old Midlanders here that are not really crazy about change. And even when a restaurant comes about, um, it's hard to go back to something that you don't recognize anymore. I'm still trying to teach my father-in-law what to do without a VHS cassette. Because <laughs> some people just won't stream. <laughs> and that's you know part of it. It's just a technological difference. You have to be involved with how things are moving forward. 
and you have to educate yourself. Um, you know, I remember when I was growing up, people were saying, you need to learn how to use a computer. That's the future. We all have one in our hands today. The question is, are we using it to its greatest utility? And it's not just the phone. It's everything else that's digital. Um, look at this podcast. It used to be you had to turn on the radio. And now we're here online. We're in the digital world. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's something that, that I look to as being um, that's hopeful, right? Because, yes, the older generation, you know, of course, as when, when humans get older, they naturally want to gravitate to what's been working, right? They're, they're still alive. They're still safe. They're still doing well, you know? So you want to maintain that, right? But the hope is that the, the future generation, right, that's who is going to implement the change, who's going to be aware of what needs to be changed and come in and use now instead of, you know, they'll get, they'll get to that certain point where, you know, TikTok's no longer a, a concern for them, right? They don't, you know, spend 20 hours a day on TikTok. But now it's like, oh, what can I do to improve my community, you know, using this computer that's in my hand that's way more than took us to the moon in 69, you know? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing that uh, I think the potential is there. And like I was saying earlier, you know, 10 years ago, it, you know, this, there's been so much change here in the Permian Basin. Like, for instance, uh, about eight years ago, I wanted to bring a franchise here. It was a franchise from Austin. It was a sub shop. And they only sell um, craft brews. And they had amazing uh, sandwiches and just really all, uh, a whole plethora of different types of flavors and combinations, but they only sold craft brew. Now, I talked to the ownership. I said, you know what? This would be great back home. I'm from, I'm from uh, the Permian Basin. You know, you know what? Yeah, we'll, we'll look into it. All right. <clears throat> so a couple months pass and get back in contact with them. And it's like, no, we're not, uh, that, that's not a good market for us um, because we would be forced to sell your commercial uh, beers like Bud Light and Miller Light and in the cans or bottles. And we only sell from the tap craft brews. And I was like, wow. You know, that, why? You know, because they did their market research here and it wouldn't have flew eight years ago. But now, now we have uh, several breweries mm -hmm. in town that are doing great. You know, and we even have uh, what first tipped me off was uh, uh, the, the beer garden out there on 80, you know, when they have nothing but craft brews from around the United States. And they had a lot of good ones. A lot of good ones. <laughs> and it's I mean, that's the thing is it shows you the population change. Yes. Is leaning a lot towards the younger audience and those things that would not have worked here mm -hmm. will now. The question is, what are we doing to entice that kind of growth right how are we conveying that to people that the midland odessa you knew 20 years ago that's not what we are anymore you know we are a major metropolitan area and there's a lot younger people here looking for a whole different variety of things and you hear that when are we going to get a pompadose here when are we going to get this here and i think that is prime ground it is fertile ground for new businesses that want to fill in that gap it doesn't have to be a franchise it can be someone that has an idea and wants to build it from scratch but keep in mind everything that we discussed like the business model and doing all that if you're gonna start a new business plan it out prepare as best as you can for it to succeed and avoid the pitfalls that so many people do hit all the time because they didn't plan for it, 
But there's tons of opportunity here in the Permian, especially right now. And I hope people that are listening into this, if you have that idea, come and talk to Michael, come and talk to Angel, get someone that can help you plan your business out. Um, there is, there's a ton of people that can help out with that here in the Permian. Don't go it alone. That would be my biggest suggestion is one of the mistakes would be thinking, I can do this and I don't need anybody to help me with it. Well, you can't be an army of one. Nope. And if you're a business owner, that's just one way that you can plan to fail. Right. And I think that's a great insight because even when, you know, you, you read and you talk to people who have been in your shoes, you know, and you learn some, the common pitfalls, you know, of course, we're always, we're all going to make mistakes, you know, but if you can avoid the main, the main, main big ones, you know, you're doing pretty good. But as far as, you know, if you're a business owner, a big help is making partnerships or affiliations with other businesses that complement yours, your services, your product, these, everything that, that, that is involved, why not use that power of two or more to, to multiply everybody? Here is something that you would think wouldn't happen. Dry cleaners in Midland calling each other and saying, hey, I ran out of hangers. Would you mind if you have an extra box or two? Awesome. And so many of them have actually done that. People that you would think you're in competition with, but still the West Texas, I'm going to help you out. And I have been shocked to see that good natured just between businesses. So, yes, talk to other people. Have a lifeline. Have people that you can say, hey, I need help with something. Um, and they'll reciprocate because they never know when they'll be in that same position. Right. And so I think that's that's really key for people to not think no one's going to help me with this. Well, they're my competition or they're this, that and the other. You don't know if until you ask and start thinking of building those relationships ahead of time. All they can say is no. But what about the ones when they all say yes? And if you don't ask them, you'll never know. Yeah, that's beautiful. I like that. So yeah. create the resources. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's longevity for any business, especially if they're in your same playground. Why wouldn't you? Um, that really becomes the question. Why wouldn't you? So I agree. Yeah, because from their perspective, it's like, oh, wow. Do you actually think high, highly of me enough to come ask me something like that? Mm -hmm. You know, that says a lot how you perceive me. And wow, now I see you as a, you know, you're, you're, you're open. You know, uh, so if I ever run a problem, I'm going to give you a call. Right. You know, and you'd be surprised the advice that we received when we first opened. Um, well, try this or have you looked over here? Try this mechanic. Try this place for supplies. I mean, we were just kind of shocked. Like, we're all in the same business and we kind of compete against each other, but we're still friendly. Mm -hmm. Because we understand what it is to have your own business and what it takes to survive. And I think that's the other thing is be good natured about it. Have a good heart. If you see someone in need, you know, that good Samaritan story is as old as the Bible for a reason. Because that's in West Texas, especially people here are willing to help out. Mm -hmm. There is that's one thing I will say about growing up here is that if you need help with something, the most most of the time someone's going to say, hey, how can I help you with that? So that that part of it, if you're not planning on what do I do if I need this, if somebody's already in this business, go and talk to them. 
and ask them. Maybe they'll give you advice. Maybe they'll tell you, no, you shouldn't do it. You take it for what it's worth, but at least have that conversation. That gets back to reinventing the wheel. If somebody's already doing that, what does it hurt you to go and have a conversation and just say, hey, I'm thinking of doing the same thing? Share the wealth. Yeah. Why not? I got one last question to wrap it up. What is your best advice for startups today? Think long and hard about why. Why do you want to do it? Is it something that you're passionate about? Is it something that you're really good at? Is it something that's completely different? Is it all of the above? Really understand why, why you want to do it. Because if your heart is not in it, and if it's just to make money, there are so many different ways that you can make money. And starting your own business, it is a long process, a lot of hard work before you get to that part where, oh, I'm a successful business owner. It doesn't happen overnight. And if you don't have that understanding and that commitment to something that you love, it's going to be all that much harder to do it because you're just your heart isn't in it. So my advice to people that want to start a business, if it's something that you have full faith in that you will work as hard as you can, 80 hours a week, putting in the overtime because you want to see that thing succeed and not fail, that's when you know, okay, this is a good time for me to plan so that I do this the right way because I care about it, because I love what I do. So that would really be it. It's understand the why, figure out if it's your passion, and if it's your passion, plan, because you wouldn't want to see something you love fail. That's really it. And, you know, I can tell you from firsthand, if you don't plan those mistakes, they cost a lot of money. Um, so avoid those as much like what you just said. Plan, money, plan, money. plan. Research, research, research. Plan some more. And, and not just the money, the effort that you put into something and to see it fail. I think that is what's even more heartbreaking than the money. You can always earn more money. But the time and effort that you put into something and then for it to not succeed, I think that's the one thing I would try to prevent people from ever having to experience if I could. Yeah, because you'll never get the time back. Nope. So uh, I appreciate you being here, Dan. Yeah, I can't tell you enough. Uh, wow, you've, uh, you've opened up our minds. I hope some of these audience folks are listening loud and clear. You brought a lot of really good advice to them. Um, my God, you ought to be using that when you plan. Yep. A lot of the things that you said today are exponential in planning. So uh, definitely a clinic put on today. We appreciate it. Really you, was That's from experience. <laughs> you can study well, textbook theory all you want, but there's nothing like real life experience real life to experience. help you understand it. And I appreciate what y'all do for our community. And I'm looking forward to seeing all the other speakers you have. Well, thanks, Dan. And yeah, thank you. For sure. And I did want to make a comment. You know, shout out to Walter, who you drove with. And, you know, I, I see a lot of what you do as a business owner, and then you're also mimicking that with as a city councilman. Like, you're going to the source. You're putting hands-on, boots on the ground. And if all our politicians were to remove themselves out of their bubble and to go face-to-face -face with the people who... Uh, who Make are, it happen. Make it happen. Look at it eye-to-eye ask questions, have that conversation so they feel heard because you are listening, I think we could go a long ways in a really short period of time. 
That's a and lot that's of value. what it's going to take. A lot of value. A lot Huge. of value. Just like so. your business, it's not just the constituents that get FaceTime, your staff. So yeah. not just your customers, but the people that help make that happen. Mm-hmm. You got to give them that FaceTime. Absolutely. So I think the, the people of uh, Midland are lucky to have you on their team. I agree. Absolutely. We look uh, for Thank having you. you around for a long time here, man. Well, I enjoy serving my community. So that's like I said, if it's something you love, you'll try as hard as you can to see that succeed. And I want to see Midland prosper. That's right. That's why we're doing what we do. Exactly. So I want to say, bam, Bam. Uh, we can wrap this up with uh, a lot of information. My God. Um, And gosh knows uh, we appreciate you being here and uh, all the uh, experience that you bring to the table. So thank you. And I'm still learning every day. Every you have to. Got to keep learning. Thanks, right, Dave. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Ames Business Intelligence Solutions, offering a personalized experience to navigate, organize, and manage data to respond efficiently to the growing demands of your business. Single, streamlined system to increase efficiency. Standardize your business processes. Reduce errors and increase revenue by improved decision making. Drag and drop QuickBooks to the trash bin once and for all with Ames Business Intelligence Solutions. For more information, visit aimsbi.com. That's A-I-M-S-B-I dot com. Or call 432-247-8840. That's 247-8840. BAM Consulting is your one-stop shop for all things business and entrepreneur could ever ask for. Make sure to mention this podcast to receive $500 off of a top-of-the-line impactful website or $100 off the formation of your LLC legal entity structure. Thank you for tuning in to the BAM BizTalk podcast. Contact us for podcast sponsorship opportunities.